0: I'm Chuck Robertson. Today it's my privilege to share with you a conversation I had with Attorney David Gibbs III, President and General Counsel of the National Center for Life and Liberty. NCLL is a ministry-based organization that defends life and liberty freedoms around this nation. Mr. Gibbs speaks regularly to audiences in churches and conferences while also litigating cases as a trial attorney. He also hosts a weekly radio program entitled Law Talk Live on the Moody Radio Network and has authored five books, including Fighting for Dear Life and Understanding the Constitution. Now, you may remember back in the late 1990s through 2005, Mr. Gibbs was the lead attorney in the Terry Schiavo case, representing the parents as they fought to save the life of their daughter. Mr. Gibbs is a frequent spokesperson on radio and television having appeared on many major news and talk programs. So it was my honor to get a few minutes out of his busy schedule to be on my podcast today. So here's my conversation with Attorney David Gibbs III. So Brother David, thanks for joining my podcast today.
1: Honored to do it and looking forward to a great time.
0: So Give us, uh, tell my audience a little bit about your backstory. You know, I've, I've known you and have followed your career for quite a while. You know, I, I remember the days back after you finished law school. Uh, you worked with your dad here in Florida at Christian Law Association. And now you're the president of the National Center for Life and Liberty. Sort of fill in the gaps for us and, and tell us, how did the National Center for Life and Liberty come about?
1: Well, I'm certainly honored, uh, Chuck, to be an attorney. Uh, that is fighting for the constitutional rights of people across the nation. Uh, My world kind of falls into three categories. At the National Center for Life and Liberty, and and we have a a large office in uh, Florida, Uh, we're headquartered in Texas, we have offices in California, Ohio, North Carolina, Washington, D.C., and then we work with about 500 attorneys across the nation but what i do is number one litigate cases uh, we go to court on behalf of churches ministries uh, individuals uh, we pick juries we handle cases on appeal and uh, then number two we work with uh, policymakers. we do this in um, state capitals as well as the washington dc area uh, we meet with the congress each and every week and try to keep them informed on issues and then number three we try to be a voice in the culture Uh, do this through media. Certainly, again, honored to be part of your broadcast, Uh, but also uh, television, radio, uh, other outreaches, uh, speaking in churches. Uh, We do seminars, a lot of training uh, for pastors and ministry leaders on how to avoid legal problems. We view that as our preventive legal ministry. And so the National Center for Life and Liberty, uh, we have kind of a simple motto, uh, if it's wrong, fight it, if it's right, fight for it and uh, we are certainly honored to be uh, standing up for the constitutional rights of people all across the nation.
0: Yeah, I saw that motto on your on your website and I really like that, you know, if it's if it's wrong fight against it, if it's right fight for it. In, in you know, we need more of that today. You know, I was as I was looking at your at your website, um I noticed there was some like listings for liberty centers that sort of, I reckon, fall up under the National Center for Life and Liberty. Tell us what that's about and maybe give a little brief description of each one of those.
1: Well, what we do, Chuck, is we have attorneys and staff that focus on different uh, constitutional freedom areas. And so, for example, Um, We have a church liberty center where we serve local churches. And so we're defending uh, ministries, whether it's in liability or tax-exempt status, assisting them with their bylaws or their policies. And so that's our local church emphasis. Uh, We then also, for example, will help uh, homeschool families. Uh, These are folks that, um, you know, want to educate their children. And at the National Center for Life and Liberty, we are believers in parental rights. And what I mean by that is we believe that the children were entrusted of the Lord um, with the responsibility of being trained by parents. The parents are the ones that are to be determining, not the government and not outsiders, but parents will be the ones that will answer to God for the training. So if a parent puts their child in public school, we believe their rights should be protected. If they avail themselves of a Christian school, uh, they should be protected. And if they choose to home educate, uh, the rights of parents should be protected. And so we, we focus on family issues and protecting the rights of parents. Uh, we mentioned earlier, we work in Washington, D.C. And so we have a constitutional center that bases in the Capitol uh, where we're meeting with the Congress. And, and we remind them on faith and family issues. But one of the key things that we stress is that the constitutionally it was intended by our founders that this be a limited government. And we're firm believers that all three branches of government have gone well beyond uh, where they were intended. The White House, the executive branch, is exceeding its authority. The Congress is really being derelict. They had the responsibility to manage the budget and the finances of the government. We can see these huge deficits and see where they are not fulfilling their role. And then the Supreme court, uh, was intended to be the least powerful branch. And now we're watching where they are making these huge sweeping decisions, whether it's dealing with life, whether it's dealing with marriage, morality, and literally becoming almost the arbiters, uh, for the nation, uh, before he passed away, um, uh, Former Supreme Court Justice uh, Scalia had a great comment. He said, why should five out of nine lawyers, uh, referring to his colleagues on the Supreme Court, uh, decide these issues for the nation? And I think that's a a great thought, that really it was never intended under the Constitution or by our founders for the uh, Supreme Court to be making these huge decisions. And so that's uh, out of our uh, Washington, D.C., Constitutional Center. Uh, We work internationally. We do help uh, missionaries and foreign governments and folks that want to expand and do uh, faith and freedom around the globe. Uh, We have a life center where we defend life cases. And, um, you know, we are in a society right now where states continue to expand and want to talk about the, the right to die. And I just warn folks that when you move to the right to die, it's very quickly a slippery slope where the right to die can become the duty to die.
0: Say that one more time because that was powerful there.
1: Well, I'm a believer. People talk about the right to die, like uh, they want to play God with their own lives. They want to choose when they can end their life. And I often warn folks that the right to die can quickly become the duty to die, and it no longer becomes your choice, but it's imposed on you by others or the government, and uh, it's a slippery slope. Our founding fathers understood this. I mean, if we go back to the founding of our country, they didn't talk about liberty and the pursuit of happiness, both great goals, but they talked about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Why was life first? Why was life first was because they came from a society where the government, the king, held life and death in his hands. With a word, the king could say off with your head, and we all know that would not be a good day because the government, the king, said you die. No rights, no appeals, no protections. The founders said, you know what, free speech, freedom of religion, right to bear arms, all these other things under our Constitution aren't going to matter if our lives are in jeopardy. And so the thought was, let's defend life. When innocent life is protected, then we know for sure at that point that our other freedoms will be preserved. And that's why I say the right to life is the most fundamental freedom. Uh, Somebody may be listening to this podcast and they say, well, I'm not pro-life or I don't see the value in life issues. I remind folks that all your constitutional liberties rest upon protecting innocent life.
0: Yes, absolutely. And you know, that, um, that sort of takes me back cause I know you were the, the lead attorney representing the parents for Terry Shivo And of course, you know, that case basically went international. Um, tell us just a little bit about that, uh, about that case and, and also well, want to get into about, uh, you know, I think it sort of set, uh, a record that it went before the Supreme Court like twice in 10 days. I don't know if that's ever been broken since then, but that was something sort of unusual at that time.
1: Well, it's, as I understand it, a record that remains in place, a very unique Supreme Court doesn't move that quickly. And so it had kind of a death penalty racing to it. But for folks that are listening and and they don't remember the Terry Schiavo case, it was back in 2005. Um, Terry Schiavo actually died March 31st of that year. And so we're over a decade ago. Um, it was an unbelievable, perfect storm. Terry was a disabled girl who was alive, not sick, and only needed food and water to stay alive. And the issue before the courts and the nation was, would we allow this girl who was alive and not dying to have her food and water removed? Now, we all know what happens. You take away food and water, and what occurs is dehydration, starvation, the person will die. And yeah. in Terry's case... Uh, She went 13 days without food and water. Um, Just to put a perspective on it politically, uh, it's the only issue in my lifetime where Rush Limbaugh and Jesse Jackson agreed on something. They both felt that it was horrible that this innocent disabled woman did not have her life protected. So it was an issue that crossed political lines and personal lines as we as a nation wrestled with these issues. And heartbreakingly, since that time, we have really, in my mind, lost a lot of the important lessons from that case as, again, we're moving to a society that is advancing more in the direction of it's a right to choose, uh, to end life, and to not value less than perfect people. Um, coming out of the Shivo case, I uh, looked at Matthew 25, and it's a Judgment Day passage, and it talks about um, God addressing the righteous, and he's rewarding them. And he begins rewarding them, saying, you know, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And it's all these kindnesses.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: the righteous, and I'm paraphrasing here because it's, um, you know, folks can read it, Matthew 25:35 35 and going forward. But the righteous kind of respond back confused. Lord, you're God, you're invisible. How did we feed you? How did we give you something to drink? How did we do all these things that you're now wanting to reward us for? And in Matthew 25, verse 40, he pulls the lesson. He says, when you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto
0: me. Absolutely.
1: And that's a powerful lesson. When you think about what we did to Terry Shivo, what we do to the unborn, what we do to the poor, what we do to the elderly, what we do to the disabled, we are doing to God himself. And I challenge folks to think about, you know, who is the least of these? It's somebody who can't do something back for you. You know, we live in a win-win, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. You know, I'm in, how much do I get paid? It's kind of a negotiated selfishness world. And I remind folks that if you're going to live your life that way, then negotiate your best deal because that's all you're going to get. But when you say, no, I want to um, minister to the least of these, I want to minister to somebody who can't do anything back for me, God says, oh, wow, I'm going to take careful note of that, and I will reward you for all eternity. So for those of you that are caring for loved ones, caring for the disabled, being kind to the poor, remember those moments when you think nobody's watching. God is keeping a very careful record what you do for the least of these.
0: Yes, absolutely. You know, I I went back and I watched a video you had done uh, talking about the Terry Schiavo case. And, you know, there was a lot of things that I didn't even know. And and it's really because, you know, the media, the way they spin things anymore is to really, you know, sort of fulfill their agenda. There was a lot of things about the case that I didn't even know, uh, you know, I had thought that she was in you know you know, like in a vegetable state, you know, a lot worse off and come to find out that wasn't the case whatsoever. And basically we as a nation starved a young girl to death. And
1: no, absolutely, Chuck, and, and let me just say this, and I don't mean to interrupt, but the secular media doesn't give you the whole picture. And and be careful you know, you use terms like vegetable and and the media grab that and others grab that and, you know, somebody's a vegetable. Well, a vegetable is an inanimate object, okay? It's not alive, okay? Someone is either alive or dead, okay? And we certainly agree and and I want folks to understand, you know, there's some sad situations. There can be brain death. There can be death that occurs and somebody may, you know, um, pass and, and there's nothing we can do. But when somebody's alive, I believe we have a duty to care for them, certainly give them food and water. Absolutely. So, you know, what? when they use words like, well, she's vegetative, all that means is she's still alive, but we're going to kill her. You know, we just need to have a good excuse, and the excuse is we don't think she's doing much. Well, that's, I think, a very dangerous, slippery slope, because once you start deciding who lives and dies, you're stepping into a role that I believe is reserved for God himself. Uh, my thoughts, God is the giver of life, God lets good things in your life. We call them blessings. God lets difficult things in your life, tribulations, persecution, disability. But number three, God and God alone should end life. you're blessed or whether you're struggling, it's not your decision. It's God. And God has a purpose. He has a mission. He has a will for each and every one. There is no person that lacks value in the eyes of God. And uh, those were the kind of issues we were arguing before the Supreme Court and defending Terry Schiavo and trying to get them to recognize this fundamental right to life is inherent in our Constitution. And um, you asked earlier what it's like to argue for the Supreme Court. I always joke it's like um, a nursing home ministry. Walkers, wheelchairs, life support, oxygen, they're appointed for life. Some of them are pretty old. You keep your voice up and hope they don't fall asleep. But uh, I say that lightheartedly. Uh, But they are certainly um, very powerful people and um, really too powerful in the course of our nation and our constitutional system. And uh, their rulings, uh, they ask a lot of questions, and they're oftentimes very engaged. But uh, I always find it fascinating, the Supreme Court building, but when you go in the courtroom, it's fairly small. It looks like a gym um, with a little stage and curtains in the back. And uh, no cell phones, no cameras, no computers. It's very old-fashioned. It's a pen and paper room. But at the end of the day, you look straight up, and guess what you will see? Moses and the Ten Commandments etched in the wall of the Supreme Court. People go, well, why is that there? Well, you need to remember American law was based on God's law, and the Ten Commandments uh, being one of the first uh, written statements from God himself as to um, the laws and regulations for his people. So the Ten Commandments are really one of the foundations of all American law, even today.
0: Yeah, you know, I remember uh, I've been to Washington, Washington, D.C. a couple of times, toured the Capitol. And I remember, you know, back in our history when the Supreme Court was actually in the Capitol building because, and you mentioned it earlier, it it didn't it didn't have the the uh, maybe the power or whatever, it wasn't supposed to have the power that it has taken on today. Um, You know, and I think our, I know our founding fathers had it right back then. It it had its place. But today, you know, I think our founding fathers would just be totally astounded by how the government has morphed and grown into what it is today.
1: I can only guess, but I think they would pass out in shock if they were to see what is occurring, and I do want folks to realize that, um, you know, we're looking at an upcoming election and a lot happening in Washington, D.C. and the nation in the coming months, but I do want folks to understand it is so critically important to understand that one of the most important things a president will do is select people to serve on the Supreme Court. Why? There's only nine of them, and they have this huge power, And they serve for life, Uh, so they're on the court really indefinitely till death, like with Justice Scalia or retirement, Justice O'Connor. But as long as they choose to serve, they can be on the court, so they can influence for generations. Many folks, for example, are quite upset with the marriage ruling, feeling that the Supreme Court should not have redefined marriage nationally to include Mm -hmm. same-sex marriage. And what folks don't realize is the man who wrote that opinion was appointed by uh, President Ronald Reagan. Uh, you go back, President Reagan served from 1980 to 88. He's now deceased. Uh, he's been out of public life for a long time. But the legacy of those decisions is so important. And that's why I encourage folks, um, you know, some folks don't like either candidate, and I understand that, and I can certainly understand the arguments. But um, I always tell folks, uh, vote for the lesser of evil, because if you don't vote for the lesser of evil, the worser of evil will win. And uh, also, with all of that, um, look to the candidates for what they are. Um, I view them as foot-on-the-gas or foot-on-the-brake candidates. I don't see anybody's going to stop the car, turn it around, and fix the nation. But I'd certainly rather have a candidate that's got their foot on the brake and slowing down the attacks on churches, individual liberty, businesses, versus a candidate that says, no, I want to advance these agendas and move it forward. And so anytime we can you know, recognize the president, select those Supreme Court justices, they serve for a lifetime, very important. And by the way, we're looking at where the next president may pick as many as, I mean, some have even said four or five. I don't know. I've if you heard have that, that. Yes. Many, but it, a good number. Okay. And obviously death and retirement are factors that aren't always controllable, but nonetheless, huge influence. And then also remember the president is the commander in chief. Uh, if you sit there and say, I don't like what's going on in the military. Well, vote and vote for somebody that you think would be a better leader of our military. And the president has other responsibilities. I'm not minimizing those. But those are two areas where that office is very, very powerful. The Supreme Court selection and the military oversight uh, rests with the White House.
0: Well, we know, and you mentioned it just a little bit ago with the passing of Scalia, the next uh, appointment made to fill his position is going to swing the court either one way or the other um, you know, depending on who's, who's elected, there's either going to be a liberal, uh, type justice that will be put in that position, or it's going to be a more conservative, maybe a constitutionalist type justice. And, you know, cause it's always been sort of that five, four split. Uh, so it, it's definitely this next appointment is going to be very, very crucial. There's no doubt about it.
1: No, I couldn't agree more. And, um, you know, the court is already split in a bad way, but you're absolutely right. It's going to have huge ramifications and uh, we certainly need to pray. But uh, I would tell folks, uh, be sure to uh, get out, um, register and um, do everything you can to serve and to um, vote and let your vote have a positive influence on the country.
0: Yes, absolutely. Now, I know you as part of uh, the National Center for Life and Liberty, you do a lot of traveling, you're speaking to churches and and uh, um, things across the nation. Um, you know, with, I, I've never seen attack on Christianity like we're seeing it today. It seems like it's just in the last few years has just really ramped up. Uh, you know, not only attack on our Christian principles, but even on our founding principles. And, you know, today with the um, with the gender identity thing that's going on where, you know, if a young boy decides he feels like a girl today, he should be justified in using the girl's locker room or restroom. What's your message to the church today? What do we need to be doing?
1: Well, number one, uh, the church needs to recognize that legally, they are getting sued like any other business, and it's important for them to understand they need to put protections, documents, policies, things in place. But let me go broadly. It's time for the church to be the church. You know, number one, know what you believe, and that needs to be based on the Word of God. Uh, number two, um, be willing to stand up for what you believe. We're in a society where uh, you've already mentioned the LGBTQ. You know, that whole agenda is out of the closet. And tragically, lots of Christians have just climbed in, and they're hiding their faith. And it's time for the churches to be bold, uh, to declare the truth of the Word of God, but to do it with a great spirit. Um, A good stand is always right, lines up with the Word of God. It's done the right way. Uh, We're pro-life, but we don't shoot abortion doctors. That's the wrong way. And then number three, um, done with a great spirit. And a right stand the right way with a right spirit is something the Lord will bless. And we need churches that are going to be vibrant, standing, going forward, and marching on for God.
0: Absolutely. And I know that's probably your biggest mission as far as the uh, National Center for Life and Liberty is to help churches understand that role and to help them sort of step up and, and reclaim the role that churches used to have in this nation.
1: Absolutely. So, I believe in the local church. and And I'll even go a little further the hope of america is not in the courthouse and it's not in the state house and it's not in the white house as important as those positions are it is in the church house and we all know the church house is made up of your house so if folks would understand the importance of um, their families and them being part of a good local church and the impact that that can have on their communities um, we would see a different America. As we've drifted from the church and the values taught in the Bible, we've watched our nation deteriorate in a different direction.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I hear our pastor mention that over and over again, uh, almost Sunday after Sunday. He says, you know, the the trouble with our nation is not our leaders, it's not our government, it's not the courthouses. The trouble with our nation is the church members. I... You know, we sort of fell asleep at the wheel and we're now shaking our head going, what's going on? And it it's almost too little too late, but I believe you're right. If we would just focus back on the family, focus back on the church and what the church should stand for, I think then we could see a difference in our nation.
1: Well, if I was listening to your pa- pastor uh, speak that, I would say a loud amen, and I agree. Uh, Second Chronicles 7.14 doesn't say if the judges or if the wicked do anything, it's as if my people, and that's where we as God's people need to be willing to step up and say, it starts with me.
0: Absolutely. So, Brother David, I want to thank you for uh, speaking with me today. I know we're about out of time, but tell the folks uh, where they can find out more information about the National Center for Life and Liberty, if they want to contact uh, your organization. How do they go about that? Give us some more details.
1: I'll make it simple for them. Um, Again, a lot of the folks will be listening in Florida, and we have a big office in the St. Petersburg area uh, where we serve and litigate cases from. But anywhere in the country, NCLL, National Center of Life and Liberty, org. uh, they can go online. And uh, if it's easier, text the word liberty, just type the word liberty, L-I-B-E-R-T-Y, to 313131. And once you text and send, it will actually connect your phone, and you can uh, sign up to receive our newsletter and get more information. We'll give you a subscription to our newsletter. And so we'd love to hear from folks if we can help serve them legally. Again, ncll.org, online, or if they'd like to text the word liberty to 313131, and uh, we'll look forward to serving them. And certainly, again, appreciate your voice and your leadership and your podcast, and it's certainly been a joy to be with you.
0: I appreciate it. Thank you, Brother David. God bless. So if you'd like to know more about the National Center for Life and Liberty in attorney David Gibbs III, visit ncll.org. Again, that's ncll.org. Or as Brother David mentioned, text the word liberty to 313131. Let me also encourage you to consider supporting NCLL financially for all they do to fight for life and liberty around this nation. This is Chuck Robertson. Thanks for listening.